The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for the internet, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold, and uh, people call me, oh, not you again. Oh, God. People call me all kinds of horrible things on Twitter, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, and in the <clears throat> comments sections. I, I don't read those anymore. <laughs> We've all learned a valuable lesson, have we not? I read them once, and then I stopped. Big mistake. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, you're here, audience. You're here for uh, more episodes of Cancel Too Soon, and thank you very much. And this is an episode that comes courtesy of our listeners. Every month at Cancel Too Soon's Patreon page, patreon.com slash cancel too soon, our patrons get to vote for an episode of the program. We do one uh, viewer choice episode every month, and uh, this last month, your options were all shows that came in second place in previous polls. Yeah, we wanted to give them all a second chance. Yeah, and we'll get to all of them eventually, but but, uh, we wanted Mm -hmm. to just sort of... Uh, 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 see if any of them were some hidden gems. Right. And, and what uh, were what were their choices, William? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, it came down to a runoff between the show we're about to talk about and a sitcom called Worst Week, which is particularly notable for starring an actor who looks like you. It's the only actor I've ever encountered that looks kind of like me, like eerily like you. Yeah, like it's yeah. uncomfortable. It's like weird. I, I want to meet that guy and just sort of like creep him out, like creep up really close to him and just stare him in the eye and see what happens. Because you know there's then, someone out we, there who looks like every celebrity. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then we touch and then like a rift in time opens up like and the two Ron, Ron Silvers and Time Cop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm glad you knew where I was going with that. Who doesn't? It's Time Cop. It's a classic. <laughs> Time Cop is such a classic. It's a timeless classic. Oh, good God. Please, oh. can we move forward with this show now before it gets worse? We absolutely can. In fact, that's a good segue because we're about to talk about some crappy-ass 1990s sci-fi. Oh, good uh, golly. Um, so the 1990s were an interesting period for genre television because for a big swath of the 1990s, uh, there was the X-Files, mm. and there were shows that ripped off the X-Files, mm. and then there were shows nobody watched. Like, well, that the, was it there was, for genre. There was for, also Star Trek. There was yeah. Star Trek, fine. But that was an institution that predated it. If you mm. wanted to be hip in the 90s, it's just like if you wanted to be mm. like a hip sci-fi show in the 2000s, you, you emulated Lost. If you wanted to be hip in the in the 90s, you emulated the, the, X-Files. the X-Files. So there the were X-Files conspiracies. Ch- yeah, we already ta- con- we've already talked about Freaky Links on mm-hmm. this show. There was It was sci-fi slash horror in a contemporary setting mm-hmm. uh, it seems like with uh, computer technology and uh, the expansion of uh, the government it seemed like the world was rife and mm. full of mysteries well the, I've heard it put this way before and you can refute me on this but uh, in, in the 1990s this was when you know the Berlin Wall had fallen the Cold War was over and 
America no longer had an enemy. And this is where sort of the, the malaise of Gen X comes in. We have no unifying factor. We're just sort of adrift in commercial wasteland. So we're just going to shrug everything off and be cynical about everything because that's what we do. Uh, and into that came this new kind of thinking about, well, you know, who's in power now? Now that the wars are all over, we don't need to concern ourselves with like large enemies. So we're going to sort of look at our own government and see what kind of malfeasance they're up to. And for some reason that translated into they're keeping secrets from us and it's alien secrets. You know, um, Harlan Ellison just passed away. Yeah. Uh, Rest in peace, sir. Uh, iconic mm. sci-fi writer of television and mm. uh, uh, narrative fiction. And I was reading... He has a credit in The Terminator because evidently he came up with that idea first. Oh, no, they, yeah. they ripped off. Yeah. Like Cameron admitted it in like an issue of Starlog. They basically ripped off at least one, if not two episodes of The Outer Limits that Harlan Ellison wrote in order to get to The Terminator. And those are good episodes of Outer Limits. Um, but I was reading a thing, and I, I can't remember like where it was from. So I, if I'm getting it wrong, I apologize. Mm. But the sentiment is interesting, um, which was that the X Files did uh, some real disservice to the overall culture by sort of bringing fringe conspiracy lunatics mm. into the mainstream. Like maybe we didn't believe them, but it was fun to talk about. Yeah, and. That made them a commodity. Well, that's true. And that it, was it a was, dangerous thing. It was a, hey, what if that crazy thing you've heard actually was real? Well, that's a fun idea for a show, right? It is. But now people are online yeah. doing the same thing, and they think it is real. And... There's a huge conspiracy theory market yeah. out there. That's not okay. something we have to worry too much about yeah. this in this particular program, because this particular program is dumb. Okay. And it <laughs> takes place in 1995, before yeah. there was a, a QAnon or whatever is going and on right now. it has ideas about technology that are mostly dumb uh, <laughs> and didn't bear a lot of fruit. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about a show that talks about virtual reality and has no understanding of virtual reality, computers, games, or anything to do with, with electrons. Not at all. <laughs> Not a wit. Uh, I, I would like Don, Don LaFontaine, please, to introduce everyone to the wonderful world of VR5. Nothing more than a homemade computer. I've done something that's supposed to be impossible. Sydney Blue has just broken into a world more dangerous than she ever imagined. Whatever it is that she's doing, stop. And now, someone doesn't want her to get out. Why am I so loud? That's a good question. VR5. Ah! I think you should get out. I can't. Series premiere this week on Fox. Thank you, Don LaFontaine. VR5, everybody, mm. stands for virtual reality. Level five. five. Yeah. Then the idea is that there are all these different levels of virtual experiences. There's a cute bit in the pilot. When, when it comes to, uh, like, screen-based technology. Uh, there's a cute bit in the pilot where uh, the protagonist of VR5 mm. uh, is named Sydney Bloom. Uh, she's, she's played by Laurie Singer, who is mm. best known for Footloose and Warlock. Mostly Warlock. In our, in our world, Warlock. I love me some Warlock. I love me some Warlock. War Warlock's a pretty dang good film. I like Warlock. I'll tell you. Um, but uh, she stars as a computer she's, hacker. She's a, well, she's a line woman for the county. Yeah, she she works on phone and, lines, but and her Moon real identity is a hacker. She, she moonlights yeah. as a hacker. And uh, she discovers that she has the capacity to not just play with virtual reality, but to suck her consciousness and the consciousness of whoever she's on the phone with mm -hmm. into virtual reality and interact with each other on a subconscious level, not unlike that movie that would come out a few years later, The Cell, mm -hmm. which, if you ask me, 
VR5 should have sued. <laughs> they have a lot in common. Um, yeah, and this is just from, like, computers she makes at home, tinkering. She discovers it entirely by accident. Yeah. And it has, uh, we'll get to this, but it does have something to do with a shadowy past from the 1970s with her father and her, I guess, her twin sister. It, I think there were twins at first. I think they were fraternal twins. Fraternal twins. Um, and she, entered, she, she, when she discovers she can do this, she goes to a professor at a local college mm. played by... Will Patton. Will Patton plays Dr. Frank Morgan, and isn't that a cute Wizard of Oz reference? Yeah, Frank Frank Morgan played the Wizard of Oz. Uh, Will Patton's a great actor. Uh, mm. You know him from uh, Entrapment? I know him from and The Postman. I know him from Fled. He's one of those great actors who's in a lot of bad movies. Yeah. and But he's always good in them. Mm. And he plays uh, the professor, and there's a cute bit where they're basically like... Trying to like humanize virtual reality, explain the concept beyond the sci-fi mumbo jumbo, mm. and she goes into his office and she can't see him, and he's like, "What do you want?" And she's like, mm. "Want well, to talk about virtual reality?" He's, he's like, "Well, can you see me? Mm-hmm. No. Are we having a conversation? Yes. Congratulations, you just had a virtual reality experience. <laughs> it's kind of true. Yeah. It's not really happening, but you accept it as a reality." And no, notice they repeat that scene later in the series. They do. I actually thought that was pretty clever. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, she ends up using this strange and mysterious ability to solve crimes, get well, to the root of people's personal baggage, and work for a mysterious organization called The Committee, which is, of course, rife with conspiracies. Yeah. That's the premise. Uh, that's the premise of the show. Um, and it, it takes a little while to find its feet. If uh, to, it ever does. It, I guess it doesn't really, because the virtual reality technology... Um, first of all, this was a really expensive... Let's run down the vitals. It ran uh, in 1995. Uh, from March 10th yeah. through May 12th, 1995. Mm. Uh, several aired, episodes... It aired, it aired on Fox, as you heard. Several episodes didn't air, but it wasn't like the last three. They just plucked out some random ones. They plucked Inclu- out the ones with the lesbian subtext. Did you notice out, that? They plucked out the ones with lesbian subtext. They also mm. plucked out one that had a really important bit of backstory that... <laughs> They yeah. just like threw in like I was I watched them in airing order. So I watched okay. like the lost episodes last. And when I saw this like lost episode that was all about the secret history of Sydney Bloom's house mm. and all the things that happened there when she was a kid, I was just like, oh, that would have been insanely useful to know earlier because people just <laughs> all of a sudden know shit. Yeah, and I'm no, just expected no to figure out, I don't know what the hell's going mm. on anymore half the time. I hate that. So yeah, virtual reality was really, really a buzzword in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, thanks to, we, had, we already had the Lawnmower Man and we were about to get virtuosity. It was out there mm-hmm. in the consciousness. Technology wasn't there yet. It's here now. People don't much care. It's, it's not really taken off the way I think. Like it, it took off a little bit, and now it's just backslid. The problem with virtual reality as a as a technology mm. is that it is is ironically that it is immersive. Mm. We're at a point now in our lives where technology uh, needs to facilitate multitasking. Yeah, you yeah. need to be able to be on your phone while you watch TV and have a conversation with someone on the phone. Like you want to be able to do all those things. So virtual reality is this 
completely immersive, at least, that, at least that's the idea, mm. experience where you're doing nothing but the virtual reality. And I think the irony is we've moved past that on an attention span level, mm. even though the technology <laughs> is finally there to make virtual reality. Mm. I mean, it's, I don't think it's ever going to be this whole like, oh, I can feel everything. I don't think we're ever really going to get there. Like, at least not in our lifetime. Sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's ever going to be indistinguishable from reality. Mm. But we're doing interesting things with virtual reality yeah, now. Yeah. And I think that's exciting. Like I was reading... Um, there's a great YouTube series called a defunct land, <laughs> uh, which if you haven't watched it, you should. And it's a documentary. series documentary shorts about amusement park rides that no longer exist. Mm. Uh, some of them are famous, like uh, Beetlejuice's Rock and Review. Some of them oh, are. I, I saw that. Yeah, like some of them are not famous, mm-hmm. like some weird, like uh, uh, Japanese offshoot Disneyland park that a lot of people in America never even heard of. And it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things they talked about doing, and it kind of fell by the wayside. I don't know if they're still planted anymore, but they talked about trying to recreate these attractions in the virtual reality theme park. Oh, that'd be so fun. you could actually All walk right. around. Okay. That's a cool idea. That's, That's a great cool idea, idea for yeah. virtual reality. Like do something you can you can't go to in real mm. life. That'd be really neat. Um, here, on the other hand, this isn't a practical application of virtual reality. This is a show about psychics and the yeah, the mechanism by it's... which they are psychic and well, they they enter people's minds simply happens to be virtual reality. More than that, and the part the element that actually kind of intrigues me more is it's not so much about psychics as it is about voyeurs. Mm. Uh, Sydney uh, spies on people. Yeah, she listens to their phone calls. It's just that's even before she enters virtual reality. Before she reality. Even enters virtual reality, she is interested in spying on people. She invades privacy. It's this weird proclivity of hers that is seen as a quirk rather than a crime. There's in, a, in there's this a context. kinkiness yeah. to it that they that and, they yeah, embrace on a couple levels. Even in the opening credits, you look, watch the opening credits for VR five. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like our original theme music for Cancel Too Soon. This sort of weird Skinamax mm. kind of laid back track I, I with people the, the, saying things like, welcome to the game. I love it. <laughs> and you're just sort of just like, oh, should I be taking my shirt off? What's going on here, VR5? <laughs> Honey, can we, me and the show be alone? Um, <laughs> Yeah, they, 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 so they try to kind of roll with that kink for a little bit, and whenever we see somebody's inner fantasies, there is this weird sort of fetish or fantasy element mm-hmm. to it. Because I, I don't, uh, I can't think of a show mm-hmm. besides Alias in which the female protagonist was put in as many fetish outfits. Maybe Charlie's Angels, like that's yeah, it. Well, yeah. It's like those are the three. Like every time, but Alias Sydney and VR Five, they, they have like an organic excuse to put them in like really extreme fetish wear. Yeah. Whereas in Alias, uh, uh, she was going undercover and trying to be alluring as a distraction. Mm. Uh, here, Sydney is in people's, often men's. Mm-hmm. Uh, subconscious, so it makes sense yeah. that there would be some sexual element to it. Yeah, so uh, it's most, still pretty prurient as a show. It's though. incredibly pur- prurient, and uh, for some reason, they kept on falling back on like noir imagery, mm-hmm. like that was their go-to whenever. But she would go into people's consciousnesses, and I think she admitted later on in the series that she was really getting off on it. She really loved going into consciousnesses because she was already a voyeur. And yeah. I had really hoped that the show was going to explore that, that this is kind of her kink and that it's not really an ethical thing to do. Or maybe it is because is it ethical if you invade somebody's privacy and they will never know about it and there's no scar whatsoever and you do nothing with the information? 
Because the way it I mean, works, yes, it, it is unethical. The way it works is, you know, she taps into this technology. She calls somebody on the telephone. They pick up the phone, and their consciousness is instantly zapped into the virtual realm. Because, as we all know, mm. nothing has a more high-speed data transfer rate than a phone than line. a dial-up phone line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be great if somebody else picked up the phone and just everything was broken? This is one of those. This is one of those great because they have to talk about computers mm. a lot. Where you're watching this, and people are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you have 24 megabytes of memory," and I'm like. <laughs> I have that in my watch. Uh, and it's not even a smartwatch. Uh, no, but yeah, so they're in the conscious, they're in sort of the subconscious wacky realm. And the way they filmed it is they filmed it in black and white and then color coded it later. Which was which really expensive was and complicated. Expensive, expensive time, time consuming and complicated and probably was the reason the show didn't last very long. Um, but yeah, the, she has these really wild fantasies. She tries to interact with these people. And then when she hangs up, she has memory of the virtual experience, but her, the person she spied on doesn't. Well, they don't, but they might have like an imprint left. But it's, like, the, it's, it's, like, it's actually a, a, it's like a an, lot like Inception. Yeah, where she can sort of guide their fantasies to make them healthier or unhealthier as the case yeah, may she be. can she can uh put ideas in their head she mm. one time she accidentally gives someone false memories which i thought was a really interesting idea to explore yeah. um much like inception she creates the environment in which she takes them before she takes them there mm. they don't really go into that too much she just types in like pool hall and then they're in oh, a yeah, pool yeah. hall and i'm like i'd like this i'd like to see you do some research on that but okay um but uh yeah the thing is Ignore the virtual reality element, which really is incidental. <laughs> That's a neat idea of mm. going inside people's conscience. The cell, the series, or Inception, the series, is a good idea for a show. Mm. So this is proto, all of that. Mm. And but it, it, it leans way too heavily on the X Files because yeah. we're talking about we're talking about sort of how she has this prurient interest in spying on people and how that's not cool but she really loves it and this is our main character so we kind of have to contend with that and she has mm-hmm. to contend with that and this and for a split second it looked like the show was going to be about a voyeur who became kind of an airsats therapist mm-hmm. for her marks essentially it's like she saw someone she was really interested. In them in a really prurient sort of way. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm going to find out their phone number. I'm going to spy. She's a stalker, essentially. But she's weirdly a benevolent stalker. And that's, I think, an interesting drama. That's a because great she idea she wants, to, she wants to break into people's minds, find out more about them, spy on them because she's getting off on it. But she sees a lot of pain in there and decides to, out of the goodness of her heart, help them at the end of the day. Legitimately great idea so for a she's show. doing good things, but she's doing it unethically and... That's yeah. That's a great that's a idea. Push and pull. That's a good. So, that's a good bit of drama. And there are a few episodes that largely do that, where she uh, the plot of the the show is she goes into somebody's consciousness, not necessarily of her own interest, but in order to specifically help one person out of a certain situation. Mm-hmm. And those are the more interesting episodes. Typically, yes. The problem is the committee. <laughs> and the sister and the father and the mother and like all this other ancillary all garbage the that they dumped on the show. This feels like because uh, uh, we talk about this a lot. There's there's when it comes to non anthology shows, shows mm-hmm. with a consistent characters throughout uh, in a fictional environment. Um, there are two kinds of ways to do it. There's completely episodic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your MacGyver's, your Quantum Leaps, where it really doesn't matter what order you watch them in. Yeah. Um, it's they're, just they're done each, in one. Each, each miniature plays. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 
Uh, or there's heavily serialized, uh, where you do need to watch them all in order in order to mm-hmm. appreciate the story and understand what's going on. Uh, in the 90s, we got a lot of half and half because the X-Files didn't want to fucking commit. Uh, the X-Files wanted they, to have Monster of the Week episodes, but then they also wanted to have like well, five or six episodes a season, which were heavily story related, that were ha- serialized. What happened with the X-Files is Gillian Anderson, uh, who played Dana Scully on the show, got pregnant. And they had to write her out of the show for a few episodes. And so they said, well, okay, she's been abducted. That's it. She's just going to be out because she was abducted by aliens. That's kind of what started those arcs. From what I understand, Chris Carter didn't originally plan to have this gigantic story arc until a necessity of the the lead actress played into his script writing. Right. So she was gone for a few episodes and they made it all about her absence. Right. And that led into this gigantic thing with, you know, black oil aliens and the guys with the needles and all the rest of this weird crap that that happened in the X-Files. I guess my point is... So they... it, it was all by mistake that, that that all happened. It wasn't that they didn't want to commit. It's that they never really planned the, on the it. The problem with that, mm. though, is that that becomes... When anything is super successful, be it Mm. a movie, comic book, music, whatever, you're going to get a wave of imitators. Mm. Because imitating is easier than innovating. It is. Mm. And a lot of the imitators are really good. Like, I'm not even even decrying imitation. The imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And a lot of the best works of art ever could be accused of Mm. imitating or at least taking heavy inspiration from something else. It's It's called the anxiety of influence. Yeah. Okay, fine. That's that's fine. Problem is that a lot of the weaker imitators only imitate the most superficial aspects. When you look at a lot of the shows like VR5 and what they tried to emulate from the X-Files, it's the stuff that you can just throw in there. Just talk about the committee a lot like yeah. it's a big fucking deal. Do we ever see them? No. Do we ever find out what they're about? No. Well, that's lame. But ironically, I think the thing that really made the X-Files appealing, aside from the fact that it was a well-written, well-acted hmm. show... Um, with a very distinct visual aesthetic. There's a lot of things that had going for it. Um, the character of Mulder, in particular, mm-hmm. and particularly his relationship with Scully, was dramatically interesting in and of mm-hmm. itself. Uh, he Cause, didn't cause just invest... He's the, he's the believer and she's the skeptic, and they, you always know where they stand. Exactly, but even just look at Fox Mulder in a vacuum... You've got a guy who investigates all these conspiracies, but he deeply believes in it. And he Mm. is indeed the conspiracy nut that everyone says he is. He just happens to be right a lot of the time. (laughs) And that's a sort of thing that they touch upon in the pilot for VR5, where it's like, okay, so she's going to delve into people's minds. Well, she's probably a voyeur. Mm. That would actually have an impact on her psyche, but then they drop it. Yeah. And they focus heavily on the committee shit, and that's way less interesting. It's plot over Mm. character, and it doesn't really fly. Over the course of the episodes, we learn, and I watch these like all out of like wacky order. I just sort sort of, I I don't know how. I just sort of got them all random. But uh, over the course of the series, we do do learn uh, that the committee is aware of this VR five technology. Yep, and they've been trying to crack it, but they haven't yet. Yeah, and now they know that Sydney has, and for some reason, she's the only one who can use it. Also, her roommate Duncan, but we don't get into that. Yeah, well, um, we do eventually. Mm. Um, let's let's talk a little bit more about the, the rest of the right. main cast. So uh, we're going to talk about Sydney Bloom. Mm-hmm. Where we talked about Frank Morgan, uh, her roommate slash childhood friend Duncan mm-hmm. uh, is this new agey, you know, he's, long hair. He, he's Bill and Ted. 
He's, 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 he's got a Bill and Ted. Yeah. Um, he, the, I guess he's just Ted because he looks and sounds exactly like Keanu Reeves. The, the I think the implication for the character, and they talk about it early on, and then mm. they kind of move away from it. But his whole new agey shtick actually comes in useful on many occasions because he helps her interpret people's subconscious shit. Yeah. She is very intellectual. And he's even more she, spiritual. Yeah, yeah, so he's actually has stuff to contribute. Mm. That makes sense. He's played by Michael Easton, who was the star of Total Recall 2070. And who I hated in Total Recall He's not good in that show. No, he's, he's good in this. He's good in this. And, and you know he's what? He's really likable in that. He's in Keanu mode in both shows. And Keanu, and there was a, you remember the whole spate of Keanu films where he was chosen to be sort of like really steely and a lot of people, a lot of critics made Chain fun reaction. of him. Yeah, yeah. Just crap where he's just sort of like, they tried to turn him into an action hero and it only worked when he did stuff like Speed or The Matrix, which were, you know, actually had a lot of personality. really well written, had a personality beyond the main character. Um, yeah. Uh, when he was an action star, he, he stunk. And I feel like that happened with Duncan on twin total recall 2070. He stunk because he had to play this really concerned fellow who was serious all the time. And he just never had any kind of note other than, uh, gravely concerned. Uh, here he's playing the Ted version of Keanu Reeves yeah. and he's actually like energetic. He has funny things to say. He has a weird perspective. He's outside of all of this weird, I, dark conspiracy. I think stuff. the real issue is that both Keanu and Michael Easton mm. have personality. Mm. And when they're asked not to have one, they, 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 they don't they, bring it. They yeah. clam up. They have yeah. not, they're, they're doing their job. But like, mm. yeah, you say, you know, the action movie Keanu Reeves isn't great. He's great in John Wick. John Wick is a character. Yeah. John right. Wick has something to do. <laughs> Johnny Mnemonic does not. <laughs> so it all makes sense. Have not a dude eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Good reference. Um, then we have, uh, uh, and then after about three episodes, uh, Will Patton dies. Yeah, they kill off his character. They kill off his character, and he's replaced with the sexier version, mm. played by Anthony Stewart Head from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He played mm. Giles the Watcher. Was this before or after? Just before. Okay. The fact that I guarantee you he would not have been able to take the Buffy the Vampire Slayer role had VR5 continued. So if wow. the answer is, was it canceled too soon? And you're uh, a Buffy no, fan. No, because yeah. Giles is the shit. Well, wasn't, wasn't, I, I, I haven't watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I know that... Like he's the the stuffy Brit who gives the Americans what for, right? A little bit, yeah. Like he's and then kind, you of, find kind out, of a know it all. Well, yeah, he's mm. he's an older gentleman. Mm. He's the librarian at school. He is a bit fusty, but and, you also find out that he had like earlier on when he was younger, mm. he was like a real rebel rouser and mm. like a warlock, and he was kind of like John Constantine, <laughs> like oh, he was geez, a badass. Sorry. But then he grew up and matured, and now well, he's really I'm, embarrassed that he was ever a different way. What I was going to ask though is his character was replaced by a really similar character, right? No, they added a younger version like him called Wesley, who was a bit okay. more Weasley, and he turned into his own different things. It wasn't replaced, oh, okay. but there was another version of him, so okay. like you're just getting yeah. it slightly wrong. Right. Um, at like, this, like I said, I haven't seen the show. At this point, Anthony mm. Stewart Head was, who had, he'd been in movies and TV for decades, but he was best known to American audiences as the guy from the Taster's Choice commercials. Wow. Remember those commercials? Oh, yeah. There was this yes, whole I series. Do. There was a whole, we should do a whole cancel 
too soon series on these Taster's Choice commercials. There was a serialized series of coffee commercials about like a oh divorced mom meeting a new British guy, and like the kids oh, can't get used to it, but they're really cool together, and you oh, want stop, them to make it work. Stop it! Stop it! Was it was such gone. a good series. It was out of my brain. It was so good. Serialized TV commercials. We'll watch that with the the sectars serialized. <laughs> and then uh, the other two recurring characters uh, are uh, well, the other three recurring characters. There's mm-hmm. Dr. Joseph Bloom, uh, who is uh, Sydney's father, played mm-hmm. by David McCallum from The Man from Uncle. Yeah, uh, we're gonna run into David McCallum a lot on this show. <laughs> uh, I think we already have. Uh, then there is uh, Nora Bloom, uh, her mother, mm-hmm. played by Oscar winner Louise Fletcher from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, uh, and, she's great. And this was uh, after Deep Space Nine, so she or was during like or, around. The I same guess time. like yeah. Deep Space Nine premiered in '93, if I recall, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so she was on TV. I think maybe her role had come to an end on Deep Space Nine. So well, it, was, was it wasn't. It was stuff. a recurring role. Yeah. She had plenty of time to do other stuff. And mm-hmm. frankly, most of her job in VR Five is to be catatonic. Well, that, a lot of but the job. I'll, I'll, you, you say that, but a lot of it's in fantasy and in flashback. So she has stuff I, to do. I, I She's guess, not. I guess my just point catatonic. is, she could probably fit in both. Yeah, that's true. Um, so the pilot of VR Five mm-hmm. is uh, Sydney is. Her neighbor, played by Penn Gillette, is, I think it's her landlord, isn't it? Something like that. Well, I think he's an asshole, and he keeps mm. like parking in front of her parking space, so she's mm. late to work all the time. Penn Gillette, by the way, not a great actor, not particularly C- cool dude, great magician, yeah. you know, an interesting thinker, but uh, yeah, yeah, not a not yeah. not a great when it comes to like actual acting. So it's his, like his greatest skill is being Penn Gillette. So you recognize him and go, huh. He, that's the best role he can play is yeah. Pendulette. Um, so he's the asshole neighbor. She mm. calls him, and then when she tries to hang up the phone, she accidentally hangs up the phone at like, like that weird phone connecting thing. Mm. And I know we have some computer fans in our in our audience who know exactly it's, what that thing's called. Uh, but it's when you put your landline yeah, phone on, up on a, cr- on, on a cradle that's, that's connected, connected to, to your the computer. computer. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. I saw that in war games um, and hackers too. Ooh. Uh, but she accidentally puts the phone in the computer cradle, mm. and that sends her down basically a Stargate. And <laughs> yeah. then she ends into this weird pop-colored world that's inside the other person's subconscious, and a bunch of weird, crazy shit happens. And when she emerges, mm. Pendulette's super nice to her, mm. which is an Cause, ethical cause I, dilemma if you think about it. Because he, he, like, he got hit by a car in his consciousness, and that somehow like straightened him out. His, his, he, he, he was like the ghost of Christmas future or something he realized he needed to be a nicer person so like the next time we see him he's watching her car but the way he was acting in the pilot it's like she actually like brainwashed him like he he wasn't just a nice guy anymore it's like now he was in her thrall i thought they were gonna get darker with it and then it turns out that sydney is uh has a crush on a guy she's working with at the phone company played Mm. by adam baldwin from firefly (laughs) um and she decides that it, it, they talk about how she's actually like a total introvert and she's actually like really nervous about dating. Mm-hmm. Something they don't really address too much later. I mean, they don't Laurie, drop it, but they don't talk about Laurie it. Lori Singer's too confident to pull it off. Yeah. She's just too an, assured an actress to, to play an introvert. Like, like the script has her. Yeah. Uh, so she gets nervous and so she decides to use VR5, which is the fifth level of immersion after things like Flight Simulator. 
Like, well, just just looking at a screen is VR one, and then like a flight simulator is two. I don't recall the actual steps. There's a list somewhere. Like VR nine is another dimension or something. We VR don't get, we don't ten get... is consciousness transfer. I thought we only got as far as VR eight, but all right, yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so he decides to use VR to sort of like just see what he's like. Mm. And then it turns out he has fantasies about murdering people. And so she wants to get him arrested. And then she realizes he might not have ever done anything. Mm. I might have just seen some like dark, dark kinky yeah, dark fantasy, fantasy that like he would only want to do like consensually with people or something like that. Mm. I can't judge him based on this. So she decides to lure him out. And it turns out, yeah, he's a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> she like, catches she, him. And, she saw actual facts in there. Yeah. And then she is uh, brought in by the committee to be their virtual reality go to so-and-so person. Yeah. And so, yeah, the the episodes like the episodic episodes as they functioned uh, were the committee calls her in mm-hmm. and they say we have we have an interest in this character and they mm-hmm. could be anything they could be like a soldier a hit a soldier man, there's a hitman in one episode a pilot um, and in one episode it's like some like child wunderkind who's a computer programmer setting That's up some episode. sort of weird uh, the game type game for people to read the next episode is called Dr. Strange Child mm-hmm. it is about a, a teenage wunderkind who mm-hmm. is working for a mysterious organization and he has gone missing and he has left insidious clues mm-hmm. about where he is and how he is messing around with their top secret technology and so they but bring, he uses the phone so so they enlist uh sydney bloom to uh enter his brain and what she discovers is that his brain is a weird and creepy place filled with like, co- like kabbalistic imagery and yeah. stuff yeah, so and this is like so like he's like wearing this like weird face paint and crawling around on some spooky mm. tree and she well, shows it's, up it's, in like leopard tree, print clothes it's the and, tree in paradise you see i know i'm just yeah. my point is is that it this get, ends up being extra fetishistic mm. and yeah. Um, she, it, it's a stupid plot because it involves him like thinking about every, every wrong interpretation they could have for his riddles and, and like and, yeah, leaving, heading them off. Yeah. yeah like, and like leaving you know, clues minute, like I, the Riddler. I figured out I can put these two clues together and it's, I got it. It's in this basement and they go to the basement room and there's just like a, a statue that says, nope, wrong. <laughs> Like, yeah, the princess is in another castle. I, I wonder, um, like, do you think there's like fifty of those that they never found? Probably. And like, can you imagine just all of a sudden just walking into the basement, like, nope, wrong. <gasps> why? Why is my basement wrong? What did I do? <laughs> I don't understand. I opened a bottle of Snapple. They were having a sweepstakes. I did not know they were having a sweepstakes, so I opened it and it said, "Try again." And I thought I had opened the bottle wrong. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Mitch Hedberg line. Oh, it's a, yeah. Um, that's so. Doctor Strange Child is not a particularly good episode. Uh, in in story order, and that's what we're going to go by. Right. It's followed by an episode called Sisters. Okay, this is the order I saw it in. Okay, and this unlocked an interesting facet of Sydney. She's bisexual. Apparently, um, yeah. She because she had a crush on a guy, and now she falls rather deeply in love with a woman in this episode. Yeah. So there's this woman who works for Will Patton, mm. who is just stealing stuff. She, she's like, yeah, like just skimming, po- pocketing money out of. She works at a yeah. bank and, and is pocketing money. And Sydney, being the busybody that she is, decides mm. to use VR five to get into her head. And <laughs> busybody, what a kind word for it. Yeah, so she she goes into her head, and what mm. she finds is that in her head she's got this like Thelma and Louise fantasy where mm. she's like really exotic and cool. And Sydney gets addicted 
to her thrill-seeking ways mm-hmm. and starts ha- they start having like virtual reality outlaw dates. Yeah. 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 Like like she goes back in and they're the, the the story continues and they grow really closer and even though she has no the woman has no memory of this in real life, she does begin having this sort of regard for Sydney. And it's never stated outright that they're falling in love, but that's what's happening. I mean, there's a lot of sexual imagery. Yeah, they're like they're and, stripping and yeah, fetish like, outfits and um, the, you, I don't know how comfortable they would have been in the mid nineties, just flat out dealing with that. Yeah. But if it was today, they would just make out. Well, I, I'm thinking in the there was probably a version of the script where they probably did just make out. I'm sure. But some Fox censor said, "No, we can't have women kissing on TV." <laughs> monocle and uh, <laughs> monocle. <laughs> my monocle fell off, and my mustache has flown out the window. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on now, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's still in the morning. We're it's tired. still pretty explicit what's happening. Yeah, um, and in the end, and, and, she convinces her not to go so far that yeah, as actually and, commit serious crimes, and it all works out. And this might be my favorite episode because I think this fulfills the promise of what I wanted the show to be. Where mm. you know, none of that committee nonsense, just her, fun, you know, taking an interest in another person and invading their consciousness but then ending up helping Here, here's here's my problem mm-hmm. with this episode uh, it has nothing to do with the episode itself the episode is fine okay my problem is you watch these in like story order yeah. i watch these in airing order which i didn't mean to do mm-hmm. it's just how i was had access to them um so this came right after the cliffhanger ending oh no and i didn't realize they were out of order so like the the i'm just gonna shoot ahead to the mm-hmm. end of vr5 because you you're, you're just going to find out anyway. Yeah. It ends with like Sydney, and I'll, we'll explain what happens, but like it ends with Sydney like going into virtual reality and then they take off the headset and she's maybe she's lobotomized, maybe her consciousness is still in there. Mm. She's, she's, that's the cliffhanger is where is Sydney? She's, yeah, she's still in virtual reality. She's, in, she's in virtual reality and her father and her sister have been resurrected. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, but like that's the end. And then this episode begins with like her inside this woman's brain and I'm just like, and Will Patton is back after. After, after he was killed in the next mm. in episode four and I was just like oh is this like some weird fantasy she's got about like the way things should have been and I guess she had a crush on this lady I must have missed that supporting character and <laughs> Will Patton's alive because she really liked him and yeah. it took me forever to realize it was just out of order it was order. just out of order <laughs> <laughs> so it was really off-putting for me even though technically yeah okay. it's a good episode so you thought like this this was her adventure in virtual reality yeah, and was, within virtual reality she was still having access to further virtual reality I was trying to justify. I was trying to justify how Mm. far we had backtracked within the continuity I had been given, as Mm. opposed to just realizing it was out of order. Mm. Uh, The next episode uh, is called "Love and Death." It's an interesting idea. She is assigned by the committee to help an assassin who has lost his nerve. Oh, is this the Robert Davi episode? Uh, No, 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 no. That's uh, the traitor. Mm. They need to find out why he committed uh, uh, treason. Oh, right. Now, this is a guy who, at the beginning of it, uh, he likes he's an assassin who likes to get close to the people he assassinates. But then mm. he accidentally kills a guy's family instead of the guy who's supposed to kill. Right, right, right. And okay. that, all of a sudden, he has inklings of a conscience, and he can't bring himself to kill anybody anymore. And the committee needs Sidney Bloom to go in there and clear out the clutter so he can continue to assassinate people and it turns out at the end that his next target was Will Patton and he kills Will Patton 
Good idea on paper. Twist. In practice, it's a weird episode because she it's another character who she clearly wants to fuck. Like they clearly want to yeah. have like and then we find out that like he probably killed her dad, but the sexual like tension would, is still there. Well, and, it's very and weird. I feel like there wasn't enough addressing of the ethics of this. It's like, mm. okay, I can help this man, but you want me to help him so he'll go back to committing murder? That's not cool. I don't I'm not gonna do that. You know, she doesn't try to subvert anything. She just does what they say. Eh. That kind of bugged me. Um, the next episode, or at the end of this episode, we meet... No, no, it's the beginning of the next episode. We, we meet Anthony Stewart's like He's a new handler. Um, and the show, I He's, gotta tell you, the show starts taking off a bit when he shows up there because Will Patton... Mm. It was he's, not. He had no energy. He's too serious an actor. He was yeah. really t- like playing the role as if he were a real person. Anthony Stewart Head can play cartoony. Well, I don't even know if it's that. I feel like Will <clears throat> Patton was playing the character in the movie mm. who gives some exposition and then leaves. You you refer to this character a lot as the Vincent D'Onofrio and sinister character, <laughs> where he just comes in and is like, "You got yourself a bagul problem." Yeah, like he shows up on Skype and says, "Yeah, you got a bagul problem. Take care of that." Yeah, that, you need this in a lot of sci-fi and fantasy mm. stories. Just someone someone who comes in with a voice of authority says, no, this is a real thing, or it's based in reality, so the audience goes, oh, okay, explains a few of the rules, and then gets the fuck out or gets killed, one or the other. That's it. That was what Will Patton was doing. We needed someone who, like, had something to contribute to every episode. And Anthony Stewart Head, who was young, sexy... Uh, funny mm-hmm. but also he had a little edge to him like you, yeah, you got I mean, the impression that well, he, was cr- someone, he was cruel in, a, in at least one episode he could so, be yeah. like you got the distinct impression that Anthony Stewart had if he was so inclined would shoot you in the face if he didn't like you mm-hmm. there was danger to him <clears throat> there, Will Patton is the friendly professor mm-hmm. This guy is like James Bond's arch nemesis, <laughs> who's now the second mm. lead on the show. He's fun. He's good. He brings out a lot of a lot of energy in the well, series. I think Duncan is the second lead on the show, but yeah. oh, he's the third. But you know what I mean. Like he's he's has a lot to contribute. Uh, so in the next episode, they track down the guy who's, who hired the assassin. Yeah, it's a really yeah, forgettable. They, they, they roll together, and that's kind of it. They um, we learn a few more things, and that's <laughs> nothing significant. Uh, the next episode uh, is Escape. And in this episode, uh, Sydney is kidnapped by the committee. Mm-hmm. And Duncan has to rescue her. And it's in this episode we find out that Duncan can also enter VR5. And he tests it out by calling himself and going into his own brain. Which is causing. Thought- which is actually kind of a great thing for Duncan to do because. Duncan's laid back. He has no mind for this conspiracy stuff. He has no idea how virtual reality works or what's happening. Like he's he, in his head, everything mm. that's going on is kind of a fun movie. Yeah, it's, so it's, he, it's like a holodeck experience, it, and it feels like uh, like Amazon Women on the Moon. Like you're just sort of <laughs> flipping channels throughout the course of his and his like fantasy changes, and he's not really learning much, and he's not I, getting like any kind of deep meaningful insight, expect- and he keeps getting distracted. And he's like, oh wait, wait, okay, back on track. Gotta save. Sin. I expected it to be so much weirder when he went inside his own head like mm. in that scene in being John Malkovich yeah, where John Malkovich goes him. inside John yeah. Malkovich's head yeah it's really weird and surreal here it's it's kind of cute but I actually like Duncan going into VR5 mm. because the show stops being self-serious <laughs> this is an episode with a lot of enter- with a lot of amusing shit in it like well, a lot Dun- of Duncan's Duncan was, fantasies are fun Duncan was the comic relief character and thank god he was there because this film would just be death otherwise uh 
yeah, he actually has funny things to say. Whenever he enters the room, he actually kind of brings the audience back down to earth and brings Sydney back down to earth as a result. And mm-hmm. I, I liked his presence. I'm glad we had an episode devoted to him. Yeah. Uh, the next we have we have two actually we'll talk about the other one in a minute. Oh, well. uh, the next episode is called oh, the other Fate. one's the parallel universe oh, episode. Yeah. I we need to have words about parallel universe <laughs> episodes. The next episode is called Facing the Fire. Uh, this one co-stars Neil McDonough from White Dwarf. Yeah, uh, he plays a test pilot who. He's lost his nerve. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's lost his nerve again. Uh, this time he thinks he's crashing all mm-hmm. the time, which is not something you want your test pilot to do. But apparently they need him. To up test and running. The, yeah, test a super secret plane. So they need uh, Sydney to go into his brain and fix it. And what she realizes is that he has a lot of baggage with his father. The problem is, so does Sydney. So and she, she ends up projecting her, her own, own baggage. baggage yeah. And he starts accusing his dad of being abusive in a way that Sydney's dad was, mm. which didn't happen to him. And that is neat. That it's a neat, it's an interesting wrinkle. I know another thing they did. That's another thing they did in Inception, where mm-hmm. like that Leonardo DiCaprio kept bringing in like Maul, like his, oh, yeah, his, his wife, his, who his was wife his, from yeah, his in, own into like, other people's his dreams. own boogeyman, like into other people's dreams, and like yeah, I wonder if Christopher Nolan watched this show. Man, you think? <laughs> Maybe he did. I don't know if he's watching Fox in 1995, but... Someone had to. Uh, It was on right before The X-Files, so it's possible. That's the only reason I watched a couple episodes in 1995. It was on right before The X-Files and opposite Boy Meets World and Family Matters. Boy Meets World and Family Matters destroyed VR5. I'm sure it did. I was the one watching VR5, and I only saw two episodes. <laughs> I didn't even get to see them all. I, I think I saw one. Yeah. Uh, the next the, the next one's called Simon's Choice, and this one stars Robert Davi. Uh, I like this episode a lot, too, This one's pretty actually, good, because uh, it's about something. It's, it's a good it's standalone. A, yeah. uh, he plays a traitor. He gave up a bunch of names of covert operatives who were then assassinated, um, and he is not defending himself. He's just letting himself go directly mm. to the electric chair. He's, he's yeah racked by guilt, and nobody knows why. Yeah, but he's accepting the responsibility for his actions. He has no defense. And it's up to Sid to determine whether or not he did anything else that was problematic and failing that, just why he did it. Mm -hmm. And it turns out he did it because uh, the enemy, the communists, found out that he... um, He had a son, and they Mm -hmm. threatened the the life of the son. In in Vietnam. In Vietnam, Mm -hmm. and he had a son in Vietnam, and now the son's coming. They, they killed the son even after he gave him the names anyway, so he's racked with guilt. And then it turns out his son's alive the whole time and he didn't yeah, have to do they, any of it. They, they tricked him this whole time. And yeah. and in a really tragic twist, we get the 25th hour ending to mm. this episode where she go, Sydney goes to the son and says, hey, your, your father, this is your father, he's still alive. You, there's time to reconcile before he's executed. You can do this. And the guy says, that guy abandoned me. I have no interest. Mm-hmm. I want to let him die. So, Sid, and he's a traitor. And, so, like, and, yeah. yeah, and also he's a traitor. I, f- I feel nothing for this man. And then we finally we get uh, that sort of teary reunion, and they finally get back together. And Robert Davi is you know released at the last minute. That big phone rings, and he's uh, like released by the governor at the last minute, not stay of execution. Mm-hmm. And he's released. He goes to his son's wedding. They mm-hmm. have a sort of a reconciliation. We get to sort of see their lives together. And then they pull the rug out from under you. Yeah, and he hangs up the phone. Hangs up the phone. Phone call never happened. Robert Davi died. But he got to, in that short time, live a full life. Sydney gave him that. And that's a cool thing. And and what I like about that ending Mm. is that's that's the kind of ending that only VR5 could have done. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of other like shows like could have like you, know, you take out the specific thing about mm-hmm. dipping into someone's head. There's a lot of episodes of the show that MacGyver could have solved. Yeah, you, you know, you like, don't need VR five. You, you, you don't need out. VR five to solve a hostage mm-hmm. crisis. This this is a very distinctive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows you the potential of the show. <laughs> The next episode is called Send Me an Angel. This is another unaired episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an episode in which Sydney goes back to her childhood home in Pasadena, which is haunted. Yeah. It's, oh, God, it's the dumbest shit. Okay, yeah. It really is just the stupidest shit. Yeah, she goes back to her home, and it turns out yeah, it's haunted. Nobody in the neighborhood wants to talk about the house. There's a local little girl who knows something about the house and what lurks therein. And it turns out that, like, her father and her dead sister somehow knew... I, I don't even remember what happened with the ghost. There was... Okay, there was a secret lab in the house, and there That's was, like, right. a bunch okay. of, like, leftover, like, mm-hmm. downloaded personalities or whatever like that. It's 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 a stupid episode, but inside the episode... They introduced this notion that people's consciousnesses can be stored inside virtual reality. They introduced that concept. Mm-hmm. They introduced the... Then clarify that... Uh, Sydney, her sister, and Duncan mm. were both part of her father's early experiments, which explains why they can go into VR5 and no one else can. This is actually it's, it's like... Important info to have, what did a, you say? I can see why... Listen, this is a, such a stupid episode, we're not going to air it, but I can also see this, the showrunners going, but, but, but it's we, really important. We put a lot of important facts in here. Yeah. Yeah, so virtual reality experience mm. experiments back in the 70s is what sort of gave the, the two daughters and the son... Or the, not the son, the, the best friend. Uh, yeah, the superpower that right. is required to operate virtual reality. It's just a computer. I don't get it. Uh, the next what, thing, do they, what do they have? Well, they talk a bit they about... They talk about like, her brain waves or her eyes see things a no, little they, differently. One thing they mention yeah. a little bit in the one episode is the idea of using the brain as a computer. Mm. And maybe he has like reprogrammed their brains to be like super brains. No, like they're the only things that are compatible with this particular Maybe, technology. Uh, the next episode is called Control Freak. This is a hostage crisis at a control tower at an airport. Mm. Um, and Sydney is responsible for figuring out why why this guy is doing this horrible thing. And it turns out uh, he was blamed for an explosion. And the explosion was uh, caused by the committee. And possibly... Uh, was caused by the committee to try to assassinate Anthony Stewart Head, hmm. which is kind of an unexpected wrinkle. I didn't see that part coming. I thought that was kind of neat. It's just, it's it's like just a twist. It feels I like just, just like a twist. Anthony Stewart Head. Okay, okay I just like, yeah, this like bringing him more into it. Uh, <laughs> the next episode, uh, I, I I actually have trouble following this one. It's called the Many Faces of Alex, and Sydney mm, is brought in right. to uh, sort of figure out what's going on with a femme fatale that Anthony Stewart had worked on in a variety of missions, and I get the impression that she used virtual reality to reprogram herself so she could take on different personas. Yeah, like, like, like she goes into virtual reality and she appears as many different figures within virtual reality, and because we've introduced the notion that she's bringing a lot of her own baggage into this, we're never ever sure what reality we're looking at mm-hmm. in, in the virtual world. Which, you know, you think might be intriguing. It's like adding another wrinkle, but it just makes the the episode chaos because you're never really sure what the rules are this time around. 
It's like in, in the episode where it turns out everything's a dream and like it's hallucinations within hallucinations. There was an X-Files just like that with the mushrooms mm. where they like take these mushrooms and they figure out they're having like mushroom hallucinations. But then like reality melts away and it turns out, okay, well now I'm okay. And then everything else melts away again. And we're never really sure what's actually real and it's all stupid because nothing's really at stake because <laughs> yeah. no, nothing was really real. It's that, uh, the VR5 version of that. Uh, speaking of the VR5 mm. version of some bullshit, let's talk about Parallel Lives. The second to last episode of the series, in chronological order, this episode also didn't air, mm. uh, is the alternate reality episode. Now, uh, let me explain something to you about alternate reality episodes. We, we've complained about this when we were talking about Shadow Hunters. Yeah, so it was a while ago. Mm. Uh, there are certain episodes that a lot of genre shows, like the Trot Out, Mm-hmm. Um, because they're old standbys. They usually work. Yeah. You know, you get the hostage crisis episode. That's always fun. You get to just really rely on one location. Pretty simple. Uh, the everybody gets shrunk episode. Yeah. Shows up in fantasy shows. Uh, the mistaken identity episode. Mm-hmm. There's a ton. The parallel reality episode is fun mm-hmm. because you know the characters really well. And you know their stories really well. And so seeing what would have happened if this character had gone to jail instead of this other character or this character had lived instead of this other character and seeing where everyone is at in like had different choices been made Mm -hmm. in an alternate reality can be a real hoot. You get to see people just acting in ways that are totally out of character but are Mm -hmm. in this world. And And it's, it's for fans. Yeah. So you, you, nobody ever starts with the Parallel Universe episode. Yeah, you, can't, you would never work in the first episode. Mm. But some shows try to trot it out in season one. Mm. Never do a never, Parallel never Reality episode in season one. This you is a rule of television. You don't have the fans yet. Look, I know you're trapped in that writer's room a long time and your mind is stretching way beyond where you are. Wait, wait until season four at least. At three, end of season three at the latest. Uh, like at I, the earliest, I, I think yeah. Buffy pulled it off earlier, but Buffy had very clearly defined characters. Mm-hmm. You need people to know the characters inside and out. And VR5 is a show in which we still don't even know Sydney all the way through. <laughs> like the protagonist is still in the street. So and she's not work. even in this episode. She's not, barely. Like, she's, she's, like, she's in the very end, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, so like yeah, Duncan we, we wakes up in another reality where he's... Sydney died and her sister lived. And Duncan and her sister, who is Sam, mm-hmm. was the, the, the character's name, uh, have like they're married and they have their marriages on the outs. I don't know if they're married or uh, just dating. But maybe yeah. they're dating, but she wants to break up with him because he's a deadbeat artist who can't get anything done and she's a high-powered businesswoman and I don't need you anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we meet the sister and she's an alternate version of the sister and he has to explain to people what's going on and I'm not really sure how virtual reality puts you into another dimension uh-huh. because wouldn't your body have to be back in your dimension? I think the idea is that his consciousness was shunted into an alternate version of himself. Okay. So his body is still back on Earth. Presumably or our Earth, but yeah. yeah. Um, and I we, feel we like... meet an alternate version of Will Patton who comes back for this episode, but mm-hmm. now he's sort of like this hey man hippie type guy. Even though he which... has like a lot of the same dialogue as he had yeah. in the pilot, so they re- kind of cute. They replay but... the dialogue from the pilot just this time with Duncan and hippie version of Will Patton. Yeah, it's kind of cute. There's yeah. actually a cute bit where uh, like even like his dialogue 
with Sid's sister is the mm. same, but it means something different. Like early on in the pilot, Duncan talks to uh, Sid about her job and she talks about like being on the pole, but she's talking mm. about a telephone pole. Right. When we see that Sam is actually in a strip club. Mm. Now, at first, my thought is, Jesus Christ, how tacky is this plot point? <laughs> this whole, this, this shorthand for, oh, it's so much worse here. People, it's strippers. Mm. And I'm like, first off, fuck you. That's a great job if you can get it. Um, that, that's might be an exaggeration, but it's a valid occupation. It's It sucks that it's demonized so much. But then it turns out that that was all just a ruse and she's actually working for the committee. Mm. And, um, frankly, the episode sucks because we don't have any connection to these well, people I, and we know like, it's not going to last. I like when we focus on Duncan because yeah. Duncan's a fun character, but yeah, all of this other stuff and... Uh, we finally, and it's a good thing we introduced Sam in this way because mm-hmm. the way we finally get back to her in the episode reunion, it it would have just come out of the blue otherwise. Yeah, we definitely needed to get a good yeah. look at her because the next episode reunion, mm-hmm. the season finale, series finale, mm-hmm. uh, opens with it's actually really great, really just like oh shit, things are real, like opening. Anthony Stewart head just like runs into Sydney's apartment. I love. Every episode begins with Anthony Stewart Head like going up to Sydney in person, and Sydney is always just like, "Why are you always coming here in person?" And I'm just like, "Why would I call you every yeah. time you call someone? You <laughs> enter into their, their brain. I don't yeah. want that. Of course, I talk to you in person. <laughs> I'd never call you. Mm. Never. They never have that conversation. I thought that was funny. Um, but um, he runs in and just says, "The committee is going to have you killed. We have to run now. Mm. No explanation. Even they really don't even delve into it." And so they run, they're going to, they're getting, it's her, Duncan, Auntie Stewart had, and they're all going to go into the airport. And then just when they're about to get on the plane, Sid sees her sister and she mm-hmm. runs after her. And then they basically explain what the fuck happened. And it, it turns out, <laughs> it turns out that their memories had been changed by their mom, who was working on the virtual reality experiments in the 1970s, I might add. Mm-hmm. So computer technology was pretty iffy at the time. Yeah, hooked, hooked them up to the hooked them up to the ColecoVision and mm. twisted a few knobs. God, I always I why I always wondered why I was sexually attracted to Pong and now I know it's, <laughs> it's programmed in my brain. Beep, beep, uh, that gets me going every time. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so it turns out that they had their memories changed and they actually all hooked themselves up. Sam, Sid, and Duncan, they all hooked themselves up at the VR5 mm-hmm. together. And when they're together, they're able to piece out whose re- whose memories are real and when. And they're mm-hmm. able to finally put together what the fuck happened. So it turns out this big prologue that we had where uh, Sid and her sister were taken out for ice cream in the middle of the night by their dad and then the car crashed and everything... Mm. 95% of that was bullshit and actually it's her, just backtracking it's, it's just ba- it's just lazy writing really it, it's it's kind of here's the thing you it, you can't lie in a flashback like that mm. it just feels like a betrayal and then it doesn't really function it could have been interesting it's not particularly I can see it working on paper mm-hmm. but in practice it's it's not as exciting as all that and um yeah, so they all work together. The Dave McCallum comes back. They add, they managed to pull like Sid's mom out of this catatonic state from all this virtual reality she did, and um, and then and the um, family's all together. And, but then in the, in the last minute, Sid is, gets stranded in in VR five, and like that's it. That's the end of the show. Mm. Um, 
It's an okay cliffhanger. It's an okay. I, it's okay cliffhanger because I had gotten to know Sid reasonably well. I like, like Laurie Singer enough, as an enough, actor. Enough to I, care I, about her. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm bummed her career didn't take off better. And she was really game in this show. Um, yeah, I think she she defined Sid pretty well, and I think she was really willing to wear the strange outfits and play these really kind of sideways versions of the same character over and over again mm-hmm. uh, in in a very appealing way. Uh, yeah, and, and they put her in some pretty stupid looking outfit, like '90s fetish wear, oh, and God, she and she and bad. she was able to slink around and look like she actually felt comfortable Some, in it. Someone so that's, needs that's to, a talent. It's not going to be me because mm. I don't have the time or the inclination. Mm. But someone needs to do a ranked list of every single one of Sydney Bloom's outfits. <laughs> like it's pretty. Amazing. Okay, how many people have talked about VR five since 1995? There's you and there's me. Uh huh. I. I would be surprised if Laurie Singer has brought it up. There was actually a campaign to bring the show back. There were hardcore fans of this. There, there was talk about mm. maybe like doing a movie. Yeah. Because um, again, this, the the premise is solid, and indeed the premise was mined in other other movies the, the that premise, are better than this. The Cell is better yeah, than the, this. The premise is Inception solid. Is better than but this. Paprika is better than that. I feel like they never really took advantage of the premise because they got too hung up on imitating the X-Files. Yeah, all the conspiracy shit is just a red herring. It's, like, I don't care it's, about it. It's all a red herring. None of it has any tension. You keep praising Anthony Stewart Head as a performer. His character is the least interesting part of the show for me because he represents that conspiracy. He's the, he, Like, he shows up in her apartment and says, well, there's a conspiracy still. Really? So what? You know, know. you're listen, just a dude. Listen, he, he, he's, he's the Charlie to their angels. He's just there to All give right. exposition and send people off mm-hmm. on a mission. He is uh, uh, John Glover in uh, Brimstone. Brimstone. That's fair. Uh, th- yeah, most of the time. He's, I, like Bron- I like John Glover way more John than John Glover has a little bit more to work yeah. with because he's playing the devil. But like, <laughs> yeah, like, but like that, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough gig. And honestly, he played that in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, too. Mm. Oh, someone got eaten by this monster. Oh. Giles, you ever heard of this monster? Oh, yes, mm. there's this text that describes the praying mantis monster as yeah, being well, blah. Okay. It's a, it's a, well, well, Buffeteers, here's your stakes. Go to work. Like, yeah, listen, that's a that's a tough job. Mm. To make that interesting is really, really hard. And VR5 didn't give him the material. But if there's one thing I know about Anthony Stewart Head, he can make exposition interesting. Okay. <laughs> now, Buffy proved that. VR5 mm-hmm. didn't give him too many opportunities. But what I, I like... Because here's the thing. Sydney is a bit of a dreamy-type personality. Mm-hmm. She's often... She's very distant. She's and... very distant. Duncan is very flighty. Mm-hmm. Anthony's red head is very present. Okay, he's and he's so, the, the down to earth one. Well, and he makes everything immediate. You mm. know, when Will Patton says, "Hey, there's a thing, and there's a thing, and I don't know anything about it," I don't give a shit. Mm. When Anthony Stewart says, "There's a test pilot who needs you to go into his brain right fucking now," I think to myself, <laughs> "Oh shit! Well, I should drop what I'm doing." The problem is they added an immediacy to a show who I think. I think it would have been stronger had it just been more about the psychology. Yes, and, I agree with that. And where they could just sort of work through a single person's problem, and you you could you know just thumb through a psychology handbook, find a neurosis, write a character with that <laughs> neurosis, and have Sid cure it in a creative, interesting way within this fantasy universe. Right. That's a good premise for a show. That's yeah. the cell. I agree. The cell yeah. is a good idea for a show. <laughs> 
I would love to see the cell of the show. Like I was watching VR five and I was like, man, if this was the cell, the show, the cell this the would series. Be the, this, that's a great idea for a sci-fi original series. Mm. I can't, I can't believe no one's done it. Like it's such a good concept. It, it would be really difficult to stay like that wildly creative you don't like, need to, on a weekly basis. But here's the thing. Like that would be kind of cool though, where I mean, obviously you have budget issues, mm. but like, cause Tarsum Singh who directed the cell and he also yeah. did mirror mirror and the fall. He's a very visually mm. distinctive uh, he, he did uh, uh, that Wizard of Oz show that we covered on this very series. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a visually distinctive yeah. show. He's got and his Emerald own, City, his own yeah. vibe. But the cool thing about the idea of VR5 slash The Cell is every episode, or almost every episode, are going to a different person's mind. Mm-hmm. So, so every director, every director gets carte blanche to kind of do whatever the fuck they want. That sounds fun. Doesn't that sound yeah. neat? And directors would be eager to work on something. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Can, and you can and be a really good place for mm-hmm. like uh, younger directors, mm-hmm. like people just coming in off of indies or music videos, to just do something really insane mm-hmm. and have the freedom mm-hmm. to do it within a framework. So bring back VR. I'm going to join that petition now. I just no, don't bring it. Bring, bring it back, but bring back it. Bring. Bring it back good. Just just did the cell of the series. That's what I want. I think I think people would watch that. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. people are like, oh, I remember the cell. And, and That's you could, neat. And you could attract a lot of talent. Like that's how like, they got a lot of so many directors on Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. They said, well, we're doing this show, it's Tales from the Crypt. It's incredibly prurient, it's really gory. And you can kind of do whatever you, you want. You can do whatever you want. What do you say? And most directors would say, Well, you know, there was this one story that I read when I was a kid. It really <laughs> traumatized me. And I, can I do that one? It's like, yeah, yes Please. you can. Yes, you can, Walter Hill. Uh Yes, you can, Robert Zemeckis. They approached Scorsese. I know. Uh, and they said, hey, Scorsese, we got a lot of high, high-class high talent. Would you like to make an episode of Tales from the Crypt? I would have loved to have seen Scorsese's Tales can from the Crypt. imagine? And, and he said, no, I'm not going to do Tales from the Crypt. That's not my bag. It's just not what I, my speed. And as they were walking out the door, he said, but there was this one issue I read as a kid. <laughs> and they like their hearts left. Like, he's going to say, he's going to say yes. But I'm still not going to do it. Oh, Scorsese! I'm kind of bummed M Night Shyamalan's version didn't go forward because they were going to go back to yeah, original yeah. shows, original stories, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the atmosphere's wrong. You can't bring it back. I think you could have done it. Yeah, I think it would have been a different it, beast, but yeah. I would have liked to have seen it. I think I'd like to see beat. them try, but I don't know what. Do you get Sean Casier back as the same crypt keeper? I just would. The same show. I would, I would. I would update the model and shit. But yeah, mm. I would. Yeah. I, I would get him back. There's no reason not to. Yeah, well, <laughs> you bring him back, you just know. Just resurrect perversions of science while we're at it. There you go. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, that's VR5. Well, if it had lasted 100 episodes, mm-hmm. I think it could have. It I had think, the material. I, th- I think it could have. We would have gotten a lot more in, in intricate stories. It's chaotic. It's not very good. But it has so much potential. It feels like the kind of show that really would have hit a stride in a later season. Yeah. Like by the time they got to year three, it would have really kind of gotten used to its skin. We've lost that now. There's mm-hmm. a lot of really popular shows that if you go back and watch their original seasons, aren't that great. Yeah. X-Files is one of them. X-Files mm-hmm. had like promise, but it didn't become like a hit show until like season three. Yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer didn't get really good until the end of season two. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these things happen. Um, VR5 could have had the potential to come into its own, but I can tell you, as it stands, I don't think it, I don't think it was canceled too soon. Mm. I think yeah. there's so much potential, but I think it's probably best used in another series because mm. I think the foundation is too shaky. There's yeah. too much of this committee bullshit. I you're just you're saddled with it. It's mm. too innately built into the premise, mm. and I don't want any of it. So I don't think um, it was canceled too soon. All right, what um, about you? Uh, no, no. Like, like I said, it, it would have been great had it had the chance to breathe. Uh, 
I'm so torn. I don't know because like there's so much potential. The, what I saw stunk. There were two really good standout episodes. There was the sisters episode and there was a Robert Davi episode. Those yeah. were just good pieces of TV. There are oddities in this entire season. And I think there's enough of it, it like if they had the the wherewithal and the thought to really kind of refocus the show into that direction, I think it really could have hit a stride. But at the same time, it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I can't really say I want more of VR5 There's, the way it is. I want a good version of VR5. I, I, I feel like this is something I've been falling back on a bit mm. lately, which is it was not canceled too soon, but I would love to see a reboot. Yeah. 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 Let's, let's, this is one that I would... I think could safely be rebooted. Yeah. Do we have any letters? Uh, we do. I'm looking for... Uh, okay. You can email for... us, canceledtosoon at mm-hmm. gmail.com. Uh, we get a lot of requests. Uh, we we get some questions. We have some people who remember uh, actually watching these shows uh, when it came out. And uh, Whitney, what do, what do we have? Um, here is one about Law & Order LA. <laughs> okay. And it's kind of a long letter. So um, this one comes from JXS. Neat. Signed up as JXS. Hello, JXS. Oh, is that a cool name like uh, that? Hello, Bibbs and Whitney. I've recently started listening to Cancel Too Soon and catching up on previous episodes after becoming a fan of Critically Acclaimed. I just got into your episode of Law & Order Los Angeles and wanted to uh, start by saying my Sunday evenings growing up considered... Consisted of watching Siskel and Ebert, then 60 Minutes, then The Simpsons, and then being scared shitless by the X-Files. We didn't start watching Jeopardy during dinner until I was older. Uh, Before that, it was usually the news, The Simpsons reruns, or reruns of some other cop or procedural drama drama that my parents liked. Weekdays, I would watch shows with them that they had taped, such as NYPD Blue, Picket Fences, ER Chicago Hope, and Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Uh, You and I are the same age. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell by the shows you watch. Uh, I never had my own TV, so if I wanted to watch TV, someone else was watching. My main reason for writing is in relation to Law & Order Los Angeles. And as I mentioned in another letter that I wrote into Critically Acclaimed, I work in the adult entertainment industry as a performer, editor, and super-duper independent, super-small-time producer. It sounds like you guys are somewhat familiar with our testing procedures in the industry, but after hearing you guys talk about this episode, I felt compelled to seek it out and watch it so I could really dig in and write you guys about just how stupid the premise is, just in case you didn't already know. So, this comes from an expert. Yeah. In order to shoot hardcore sex or fluid exchange porn... You need to have been tested within the last 14 days. It used to be 30 days, but it was changed to 14 sometime in the last few years to increase the reliability of the tests. So big mainstream performers who are shooting and working all the time are getting tested for a variety of STIs every 14 days, including HIV. These test results are put in a system called PASS that allows producers to look up your results and see if you're good to shoot. If someone tests positive for HIV, more testing is done with that person to confirm the diagnosis. Every partner that they've had since their last negative HIV test is also contacted and tested to determine where the virus came from and if it is spread to other performers. During this time, a moratorium is made on all production, scenes are cancelled, and no one is supposed to shoot during this time. It's true that there are always people who grumble when this happens about money they've lost or wasted or testing they can't use now. The industry standard tests typically cost between $150 and $250 and are paid out of the model's own pocket. Yeah, that sucks. That does suck. Uh, 
But for the most part, people in this industry recognize that a diagnosis of HIV not only means that someone will now be on medications that will likely make them sick so they can keep living every day for the rest of their lives, but is also the end of someone's career. The vast majority of performers who do test positive for HIV and other STIs contract them offset from partners, as seen in the episode of Law & Order, or with clients from escorting who may or might not have been tested for anything in their entire lives. Most of the general population never gets tested at all, and less than a handful of times in their lifetime, regard regardless of their sexual behaviors. In some cases, the performers were using condoms, but unfortunately, condoms can and do break. So based just on the functionality of this testing system, the premise for the Law & Order episode is garbage. <laughs> there is so much terrible crap here. At least they had the witness-slash-victim stand up for herself when she was being demeaned and dehumanized uh, on the stand toward the end of the episode, and after one of the lawyers gave a closing statement validating the humanity of porn performers... It's so rare that sex workers are portrayed as humans worth anything in media. But just on the top of, of STI testing in the industry, even in 2010, when the episode was presumably produced, the past system was a thing being used by mainstream porn producers. As in the episode, performers were still tested every 30 days back then, and we can see an assistant use his database to look up the victim test results at one point in the episode, so we know the studio's part of the system. As if the idea... As if the idea that a producer would even knowingly let an HIV-positive performer work on set and then try to kill her after she had worked with and exposed multiple other performers to HIV in the hopes of preventing a moratorium wasn't already ludicrous enough, if a transmission occurred on his set and it was traced back to him, he would be done super duper done. If he did go on a killing spree, it would look mighty suspicious that all these performers who had worked for him and or seemed to get HIV on his set were suddenly all turning up murdered. <laughs> if he didn't go on a crazy killing spree of everybody possibly infected, he'd still get busted for knowingly letting an HIV-positive performer work on his set, even without getting jail time for that, uh, for like he does in that episode, his entire career would be over. And the only way he would really know if any of the performers she worked with would have contracted HIV other than stealing their sex toys, apparently. But even that takes a few days for HIV to show up on a test, so there's no guarantee that a performer wouldn't test positive on a new test before she could pull out all this shit off, leading to an industry-wide shutdown anyway. It would be because the testing procedures in the past system, which we know his studio is a part of, as explained previously, which means that as soon as one of the performers she worked with got a new test and tested positive for HIV, each time all of that person's partner since their last test would also be tested, every scene they'd been a part of would be reviewed, and it would only be a matter of time before it was traced back to the scene shot on set. It's a lot of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for explaining that in such detail. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I kind of knew the details of that, but now I, yeah. it's, it's fleshed out a lot more. Um, anyway, thank you for always speaking uh, speaking up about us sex workers as humans because we are and on another quick note i heard you guys recently mentioned the show wonderfalls is on your list of heavily recommended shows i don't want to get into my recommendations or opinions she essentially says do that show yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um well thank okay. you well, th thank, thank you, you JXS, yeah, yeah um i i i know a lot of sex workers mm -hmm. um and like, like his personal friends and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We've had him on our, our, our podcasts before. People like uh, Ella Darling yeah. or uh, Jackie St. James. Yeah. And um, we interviewed Stoya. Oh, yeah. Stoya was cool. Yeah. I liked her a lot. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, it, mm. it's it's I know a lot of incredibly wonderful people in that industry. And uh, I'll take any opportunity mm. I can get uh, yeah, to, well, to sort of 
Look, the way that even like at show that it seems to be well intentioned, like yeah. Law and Order, the way that they treat people yeah. in well, a lot of different fields, and they just they, were, there's cartoons out there to them. Like there's the lack of respect, yeah. like Law and Order Los Angeles showed to all of Los Angeles <laughs> is shocking the, the, to the, me. The lack of understanding, and a lot of Law and Order is really conservative because it has to represent the law, which is kind of centrist you know it's it there are people on the left and people on the right working within the law system so we do get both perspectives but you know politically speaking sometimes that feels really irresponsible and we're going to have these storylines where like some uh, like moral crusader from the extreme right is going to come in and really harsh on all of the porn stars and that's the plot but we see that so often that all we get is you know sex workers and people who work in the adult entertainment industry just constantly getting dumped on. And that's not cool. No, it's not. It's yeah. really it's really fucking lame. So listen, mm. thank you so much for that really detailed letter and mm. I I'm really glad that we were able to get your uh, very specific mm. input on there and illustrate to people not just why Law & Order Los Angeles was fucking lame, <laughs> uh, but also just how the industry works because I just mm. think people do not understand. Mm. Uh, the the level of complexity and seriousness with which the people in the adult industry take their jobs. Yeah. Um, there's this all this legislation that they keep trying to pass that is basically just about we have to protect people in the adult industry. I'm like, they're adults. <laughs> people are adults and they're making choices about their lives. Like, they, why, just... why, why aren't we consulting? Why aren't we consulting them at least to tell a story about them in law and order? People are so... Just the way sex is discussed in this country is disgusting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, just If it's disgusting. at all. If it's disgusting at all. You know, just bring it up. Understand that it's okay to have an open and healthy conversation about this stuff. Yeah. And it needs to be had and there's a weird irony in that thanks to the internet you know pornography is proliferated like crazy oh yeah i mean it's you know amateurs professionals and everybody can be a porn star now if they want to be and you would think with the ubiquity of sex and sexuality and sexual imagery and access to whatever fetish you have is now available that that would have opened up the conversation, but it hasn't really. Well, the irony is that now mm. people don't need to interact with anyone else in order to uh, get sexual material. Yeah, that's true. You know, it used to be you had to go to a movie theater mm-hmm. or at least to a store. Mm-hmm. You know, now you you don't you never have to talk to anyone. Yeah, yeah, and you just can see stay at home. But yeah. that just makes you more isolated, mm. and, and, get, and it, it allows bad information to spread faster than it ever had before. Absolutely, mm. it's a it, there's. I mean, it, it's another great irony of the internet. It seems like it's mm. going to be a great democratization, but it actually just makes mm. everyone more divided. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, everybody. Mm. It's an interesting note to end it on. <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Cancel Too Soon. Yeah. Special thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, you help us keep going in a way that uh, we we can barely express our gratitude. <laughs> the, yeah, it's times it's are pretty hard amazing what you guys are doing, um, so thank you so much. We have bonus episodes on the way. Uh, we mm-hmm. have an episode of the Cancel Tuesday Monthly Movie where we're reviewing uh, Les Histoires du Cinéma, mm-hmm. uh, which is a documentary series from Jean-Luc Godard. Uh, we da, also, da, uh, it's, it's a freak out by Jean-Luc Godard. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and we also have uh, the next episode of Only the Best, where we're reviewing all of the Oscar-nominated 
animated movies from the second annual Academy Awards, all the Best Picture nominees. Mm-hmm. Um, those episodes are running a little bit late, mostly due to availability issues. Yeah, There's a movie yeah. we were having trouble tracking down with only the best. We've got it, but it's probably not going to arrive until like the first week in July. So mm-hmm. sorry about that. We're going to get that soon. Same with Les Histoires. It's just a bit long. Um, but that means we're going to have two episodes of each of those bonus podcasts in July. Yeah. yeah. Including uh, the next big crossover episode. With our friends at Linoleum Knife, <laughs> because it's Christmas in July! Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a couple of Christmas-themed uh, made-for-TV movies as well. But uh, make sure you come back next week, or later this week, uh, depending on how you look at it, for our next episode, in which we're going to be reviewing the failed pilot for Legally Blonde, the series. <laughs> this is a tie-in episode with our other podcast, Critically Acclaimed, over at Schmoes Now, mm-hmm. uh, where we reviewed all of all the, the three... Three Legally Blonde movies. Legally Blonde, Legally Blonde mm. 2, Red, White, and Blonde, and the straight-to-video, largely forgotten sequel, Legally Blondes, <laughs> which is to which Legally is... Blonde what Aliens was to Alien. Yeah, yeah. there's there's more than one of them. Exactly. Uh, they mostly come out at night. Mostly. Mostly. Uh, don't forget you can email us canceltoosoon at gmail.com. Our Patreon is canceled uh, is patreon.com slash canceltoosoon. Uh, our Twitter is at canceledcast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, don't forget to go to criticallyacclaimed.net for all of our various writings throughout the internet, our mm. video appearances, our podcasts. Everything can be found right there, criticallyacclaimed.net. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And that is a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. Thank you.